0: Well, i'm here today i'm bill warner and i'm here today to introduce you to one of my favorite people vlad vlad teppis who runs that vlad, vlad teppis blog the first thing we have to ask you Vlad, is where's when's the name okay so when i first um started
1: blogging um there was it was because of the inspiration of people like yourself and ned may over at gates of vienna and Robert Spencer and a few other people who I, I thought were, were saying very important things and that were, were being heavily suppressed. And so I was looking around for, I was thinking of the website name, and I started, at this point, I was learning about all these great European heroes throughout history who had defended their countries from Islamic invasion and conquest. Uh, people like uh, Charles... Martel, Charles the Hammer Martel in France, and uh, Holger Dansk in Denmark, and a whole bunch of other famous historical warriors who'd gathered armies together and managed to defend their nation, their people, their culture um, from Islamic invasion and, and subsequent slavery, and so on and so on. And uh, the only one that wasn't taken <laughs> was Vlad Tepes. So I thought it was kind of moderately funny as well as poignant because... Um, Of course, Vlad Tepish is this 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 British novelist um, came along and decided to take this guy and make him into a monster, which we all know as Dracula. And of course, Dracula was because in Romanian, his father belonged to the Order of the Dragon, and that's uh, Draculia became Dracula. So, but really, this guy, although he he was probably not a guy you want to have dinner with, he did protect the 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 people of of his part of Romania from Islamic invasion and did so for quite a long time until eventually he was defeated. And it's quite an interesting story. It's well worth learning about. He was one of the great unsung European heroes, although his, he was brutal, but he learned his brutality, um, when from we guess who, who from guess who, because in fact he, um, had been a Janissary. He'd been a, a child who was forced to, be, to give up to the, the sultan um, uh, as part of, you know, in order as part of a deal for the country not to be totally overrun. And he was raised as a warrior for the Muslims as kind of cannon fodder. And so he learned a lot about brutality from that and then used it against the Muslims. So it's quite a good story. Well, it's worth watching, learning about
0: Well, your website is very, very different from my website, which is politicalislam.com. I am scrupulously discuss only one topic. You, on the other hand, have a much broader range. What is the philosophy behind this here? You also talk about political Islam. Oh, yes. Well,
1: see, I started all this because I noticed one thing that really disturbed me, and that was that what I saw on TV did not match what I saw out the window. And increasingly, the difference between window and TV was becoming more and more disparate, right? And uh, so the more I'd look into things, too, the more I'd realize that there was a set of narratives being created by the media, which was intended to create an outcome rather than inform people so they could make their own um, best choices. I think those are those people who may, some people who followed the vaccine issue may have noticed something similar that there's a you don't get those long side effect um, notices at the end of anything that's discussing the vaccine, right? Like if you see an ad for, I don't know, erectile dysfunction, you get six minutes of, uh, let's let's make Osmond heart problems, you don't get that, right? So there's clearly narratives being created in order to direct behavior rather than inform you in order to make the best choice for yourself. And at the time that I first started writing, what I really noticed was Um, the religion of peace, which later became Mm. safe and effective. But the religion of peace was clearly a narrative that was being created. And the more I looked into it, the more I saw a relationship between leftism, um, which I I use it in a very specific way, uh, between leftism and Islam. And the more you study those two, it seems counterintuitive on the surface because of the narratives those two philosophies have created for us to believe. But the more you look into what they really are, they're very, very, very similar. And at the core, they're similar in the following way. So both leftism and Islam are conclusion-led reasoning, whereas Western Greek thought is reason-based conclusion. So, you know, those of us from a Western tradition, those of us that, that believe in, in science and truth and investigation, start out not knowing what the results will be, and investigate, come up with an idea of what the truth may be, and then try to try to knock it down by testing it until we can refine it and make it better and better. That's the way Greek thought works. So, in Islam and in leftism, it's exactly the opposite. Both start out with what must be true. By must be, you must believe it's true. And they will, to quote Joseph Goebbels, use the complete and total power of the state to support the lie. Because... The power of the state is through the lie, and therefore the, the truth being the enemy of the lie is the enemy of the state.
0: I agree with you completely. One of the things that came from my study of Islam was when I finally realized everybody tries to deal with and resolve the contradictions. <clears throat> and I said, no, the contradictions are the heart of Islamic reasoning. That is, it's dualism, it's dualistic thinking and you're right in islam nothing 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 is allowed to contradict the quran or the sunnah of muhammad so there 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 are different forms of thought and when people go around looking for well which is the real meaning of this verse the peaceful one or the violent one the answer is yes they're both <laughs> they're both there
1: well yes exactly and you know i've learned a great deal from you about that and uh, many other great thinkers and uh, again also A source on leftism, which is really elucidating, is uh, Stephen Coughlin. His site is Unconstrained Analytics. And um, I haven't been able to read all that he's written, but one paper, which is extraordinary, is called um, Re-Remembering the Misremembered Left, uh, which is an extraordinary document, which explains leftism in much the same way that you would explain Islam. And uh, again, you won't see much daylight between them. So... Um, I, think, I think between these two doctrines, you can see a lot of the problems in the world right now.
0: Well, they certainly, I mean, the red-green axis has been spoken of by many people. That is, the fact that they work in concert. Now, the left thinks they can use Islam to their advantage. They will discover, however, in the end that Islam will rule them. Islam's been playing this game longer than they have and has an in-depth strategy. So the left are fools who think that they can use they can they can use the the left can use Islam to help drag our culture down but when it comes to the rebuild. The left will meet the real power of Islam.
1: So there's an, certainly a historical example of that because in Iran the revolution to overthrow the Shah was definitely done by communists, and then Then some, somehow the Ayatollah Khomeini found himself in control. They threw all the leftists out of the universities, like killing something like a hundred thousand of them. And they would put janitors in as deans of university, providing if those janitors had memorized the Quran. because that's the only standard.
0: This this is true. This is true. So well, you're quite
1: right about that. And, uh, you know, I think about that all the time. Who's going to win this thing? And the answer will be those who can stick to their ideological guns the best, in a sense, because the left, the left's main weapon is is dialectics. And uh, that would be a long discussion as to how they use that against us. But ultimately, if you look at how they redefine things uh, in order to make us do or believe things we never would have otherwise or if they, if they attack our concepts and uh, in, in our culture and our taboos in every possible way, that's dialectics. The whole thing about, you know, cannibalism is one of the more recent lines of effort, eating bugs, everything that you see, uh, especially anything to do with reproduction, um, sexual taboos and so on are under constant and heavy bombardment uh, for, in a linguistic sort of sense. And this is dialectics, right? So I think the left believes that it can conquer Islam using the same methods. But it probably can't.
0: No, it won't. Well, let me ask you a question. How long have you been, put, been putting out your blog?
1: I think it's got to be getting close to 15 years now.
0: Yeah, I think Not the it's same as mine. Yeah.
1: Well, yours is a little older, I think, but I I got in there pretty early because it was disturbing to me how what was obviously true and people like yourself were pointing out were obviously true, was being suppressed and distorted in manners which I'd never seen in the West, but I'd read about or heard about in the Soviet Union. So I, I, I jumped on, I recognized the importance of this and, and tried to support your efforts and, uh, and Gates of Vienna, as I say, and Robert Spencer's and many, many other great people.
0: How, what have you seen change over the last 15 years? Well,
1: Well, I guess what was interesting is when I first started in on this subject, there would be the very occasional story about Islam, which the media would always spin in a way which is just ludicrously untrue and very positive. Even when we came to terrorism or whatever, it's it's much like when you, you read a story today about what's obviously or most likely a vaccine death and they manage to spin it into, uh, you know, this this 12-year-old had a stroke because uh, he took an afternoon nap or something like that. Right. So it's, it's, it's very much the same sort of set of things. So at the beginning... When they did stories on Islam, they would spin it this way and then people would put comments under it where you'd have like, I don't know, 19 out of 20 comments would be politically correct. And and one of them would be some guy saying, but that's not true. The Quran says this and these actions are consistent with the Quran." And over the course of a few years, um, more and more people became educated as to the true nature of Islam. And the comments started to become the other way around, it became 19 out of 20 were, were factual and, and, and counter-spinning the, the article's narrative. And the one in 20 would be obviously shilling and politically correct. And then, of course, what was interesting is they just stopped allowing comments, right? Or in the case of Canada's communist state broadcaster, CBC, which is, it's not, and I got to disagree with, with President Trump here. It's not fake news. It's enemy propaganda. It's way too well thought out way too consistent in the way they handle certain issues to be fake news. Fake news would be be Elvis Presley had an alien baby. Um, It's basically harmless and it's entertaining. What CBC and CNN and a lot of media do is actually enemy propaganda. It's important to understand that, I think, in order to be able to move forward, you have to, at a deep level, recognize that these are lines of effort and weapons against us rather than any attempt to inform. So CBC, for instance, will make sure that they only have comments that suit the narrative, and they have so many people contributing, they can afford to even hire some. But most regular news services would just stop allowing comments because it was becoming problematic that people were seeing through the stories. And of course, as we move through issues, let's call them lines of efforts, because you, you have, it's Islam is one line of effort, but there are many others. Uh, my favorite example of this would be last spring, and I bet you most people don't remember this until they they really sit back and think about it, they might. Last spring, every major media outlet in the United States, from Fox to 60 Minutes, whatever network that's on, NBC or whatever, um, had a member of the top brass of the U.S. Air Force talking about how strange spaceships craft that could only be of alien origin because this technology doesn't exist on earth. We're harassing ships and and one air base in Virginia in particular. And it was like every day they were being harassed by these, these aircraft. And uh, they even released a couple of um, what looked like Motorola flip phone videos from 1994, but it was supposed to be 2016, I think. And they had interviews with some pilots and so on. And the line of effort was that, these aliens were a big, big problem, and they were going to release a big document, which they never did. Uh, this is going back, what, two summers, I guess. Uh, last summer, the summer four. And again, I've got these videos. They're from all the major networks, so this is not quackery. And these are top brass. And I, th- I thought to myself, okay, what I'm seeing is what I've been seeing for years and years now. Problems being created or 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 pretended to, be, to exist by government which only have one solution, and that's world government. The solution to the problem, like Islam is clearly a line of effort because it's a dialectic attack on our culture, our people, and our history, right? You flood Western nations with people with a dramatically different and hostile view and who see the world in an extraordinarily different way. It's not just that they're a different religion, like Christianity might be or Judaism or whatever. It is a different system of thought, right? And leftism, by the way, is another system of thought. Like grasping this is has taken me you know, a long time to begin to, to see it well enough to be able to predict events, right? And it requires an understanding of these as separate systems of thought. So um, you have all these different lines of effort all of them seem to need, whether it's a plague, a big a virus, they all have one solution that your local representative government isn't going to be able to solve it. You have to give up your personal individual power. To a global governance which you will have no say over, no control over, and no ability to contradict. Um, I I ask you all to look into the UN come com- the UN migration compact of a few years ago, where um, the UN and everybody signed on to this passed a compact, migration compact, which in which. People were not going to be, media was not going to be allowed to criticize it, and all migration had to be referred to in media as a positive thing. So this is people celebrating the suicide of their own culture, because, and remember, law is nothing more than the codification of culture, how we treat women, how we treat individual private property, how we think about each other and relating to each other. This is culture then written into law. And now we're being asked to completely smash that apart and celebrate it. Celebrate
0: it. I say we're involved. My phrase for it is we're involved in a civilizational war. The very basis of our civilization is being challenged.
1: Very effectively, oh, yeah. I might add. Well, I mean it is. It's it's you know, I went by a private school a little while ago in in Canada, and it's a pretty pretty prestigious private school. And they have three flags on the pole now. They have uh, the Canadian flag, the flag with the crest of the school, and the rainbow flag celebrating um, what I call non-procreational sexual activity, reproductive activity. So that's a form of dialectics too. That's that's attacking our culture at the root. It's saying we must accept and even celebrate at the same level that we do nationhood and any other aspect, right? We have to celebrate... Um, uh, anything which was formerly a taboo, right? So however people may feel about that is not the issue. The issue is being, it's being weaponized against us much like Black Lives Matter weaponized uh, differences in in melanin levels in skin, right? It's like.
0: Let me say something here. One of the things that I love about your website And by the way, I do not read all of your website. It's like drinking from a fire hose. (laughs) There's so much information. But I keep up with countries that I wouldn't ordinarily like, Canada, Australia. I have my own contacts in Central Europe. Mm -hmm. But you keep up more with what's outside the United States than most other ones do. And let me ask you a question about one of them. What is rare? R-A-I-R-E. Right. No, it's
1: R-A-I-R just R-A-I-R, Foundation. It's rarefoundation.com. I am working with a a woman who has a website in the U.S., and she's quite an extraordinary woman, and uh, she was retweeted by President Trump, I think, three or four times, and as a consequence of which she developed a large following on Twitter but she was also really brutally attacked. I mean anyone who can use Google can find out what happened to her. Don't believe the stuff you read on the surface of it. Look at it in terms of the, of the dialectic weapons that were turned against her and her family because she was concerned about the consequences to women in the West uh, as a result of mass Islamic um, immigration to the West. And I think you know that's a very, very valid concern, not just to women but to any ethnic minority that that islam finds problematic and we could go on and on so she created a site in which most of my european stuff goes uh there now in the sense that the team i work with who who subtitled european news videos about all these events um we generally subtitle and you'll find them posted usually to rare first and with a good she does a lot of background research and she finds out uh, who these people are and what this thing actually meant and what the consequences are so uh, she does a great job of doing the background on the videos that we've been subtitling and of course this subtitling of foreign news videos i think uh, it's the one thing i have to say this team i work with of translators are some of the greatest people they work tirelessly every single day on a volunteer basis looking for or you know being handed important videos in a huge number of languages that really matter and that we'd never know about otherwise. And then we get them translated. Um, I generally do the subtitling and then they
0: go up on a bunch of sites after that. Well, you'll find more news on your, on your blog site than you will in the New York Times, I'll tell you that.
1: Well, you don't really find news per se in the New York Times, that's why. That's an easy, that's an easy one.
0: <laughs> the, uh, I love their motto, all the news is fit to print. I've never seen anything written on Islam in the New York Times. Not one thing that was completely true.
1: Well, that's it. I mean, the funny thing is, if you ever watch the movie or read the book by Noam Chomsky, "Manufacturing Consent," he was critical of the Times because it wasn't left wing enough. Which you know, given <laughs> given their relationship with uh, with was it Walter Walter Duranti and how he assisted um, the the Soviet. Union in killing all those Ukrainians during the Holodomor, you wonder how much more left-wing it could possibly get. But um, if you if you do watch *Manufacturing Consent*, you know you got to say Chomsky's kind of right about one thing: the New York Times is extremely selective about how it uh, what it chooses to print and how it chooses to print and for the reasons it chooses to print it. It's just that it's the other way. It's because it's too it's too left-biased, not too right-biased.
0: But yeah, it's, it's it's kind of ironic. I told you this would be a short interview and we bumped up against our 20-minute limit. What what are your closing words? I
1: think think the most important thing to do is to try to understand uh, that we are the, the targets of weapons and tactics that have been developed for about 100 years. I mean, I recognize this lamb is 1400 years old, um, but the, the joint efforts of, you know, I think the earliest reference I have is a letter from a member of the French parliament that dates back to, I think it's 1920 something. It's on my site somewhere. But it is a, a letter where a French member of parliament is putting out a request to his own teams and, and politicians to look into the connections between a new Islamic group that had formed in Egypt, which would, of course, be the Muslim brother at Ikhwan, and European communist groups. And because there seemed to be a relationship between them and, and they were developing, you know, they developing think tanks. And I think what we're we're up against here is very much the consequence of that. And I think it's necessary to understand this thing for different people at different levels of abstraction. But we we need to know that that, that uh, well, there's not going to be a short-term win. We have no. to preserve our civilization by understanding it, by not taking it for granted by understanding Greek thought and how science works as from you start with the data and you work your way toward a falsifiable conclusion and so on and so on. I mean, I don't want to go through deeply too deeply into all of that, but it's almost like at, at the end of the book, uh, Fahrenheit 451 or 459, and I can't remember names or, or, or numbers, but at the end of that book, um, what happened was all the people who had woken up from the dystopia they were living in were were memorizing books and they would go live in the woods and be that book and then they would burn the book themselves because the problem wasn't the book or burning books the problem was burning and destroying the ideas we must do what they did we must preserve the ideas the culture the the history of our peoples and our understandings so that when we figure out how to fight back and win this thing we have something to to replace this uh, leftist Islamic dystopia being imposed on us.
0: Well, Vlad, I want to thank you for all the work that you and all those people who work with you. And in my closing remark, I'd like to point out something here. This is largely a volunteer effort on the part of everybody. I'm definitely not cashing any big checks, let me assure you of that. So what's going on here is a grassroots level to struggle to save our civilization. Because those institutions which are supposed to do that, like law enforcement, the military, education, the churches, the synagogues, they're not doing their job. And so we have are people such as yourself giving selflessly of your time in order to deal with people that, if you just read what they say, we're here to take you down.
1: Well, for those people wondering about the churches, um, have a good look into a woman named Bella Dodd. Um, she was a communist in the United States whose specific job it was, was to um, penetrate the churches. And she uh, successfully them. did. And she successfully did. And the, the reform synagogues, all, you know, definitely, it's almost like we need to rent a church basement and hold real church services in a church basement while they're doing whatever it is they do
0: upstairs. <laughs> right. Vlad, thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for interviewing me. Thank you.